Uh, it's great to be here with you today to celebrate uh, Labor Day weekend. And although most of us think of Labor Day weekend as the end of summer, uh, sadly, <laughs> and a long weekend, it also was in its origin the acknowledgement of workers in our country. And for as long as I can remember, and that's a long time, our conversations in our family and with our friends about work have so often re resolved, sorry, revolved around the question of work-life balance. And as Daniel just shared, it's still an ongoing question. And we did not communicate with each other beforehand, so um, I'm glad that she brought that issue up because that's really what I'd like to talk to uh, this morning. In um, the 1970s, Harry Chapin wrote a poignant song called Cats in the Cradle. He describes a man whose work is more important than his family. So you can see the first and last verses up on the screen. I'll read them to you, and you'll get the gist of the meaning of the song. There's many verses. But here's what he wrote. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and there were bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. Well, I've long since retired and my son's moved away. Called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see, it, see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my jo new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. The sadness of the song is that the son does indeed grow up just to be like his dad. But there's also an underlying assumption that views work-life balanced as a fixed sum, as an either-or endeavor. If we're committed to our work, we will give more time to it and won't have enough time left for our family. And if we invest too much in our family, our careers will suffer. It's a question of priorities, Chapin writes. And this father obviously has his priorities wrong. It's hard for me to listen to this song and not wonder if my priorities are often wrong and not feel guilty for where I've been out of balance. And even more challenging is our experience over the last six months as the borders between work and family get murky become more fluid. Many of us live and work at home now. Our relationships with families are stretched and our friendships are constrained. So now what we're gonna do is look at a different song, this ancient pilgrim song that's a wisdom psalm that can change the conversation for us about work-life balance. It's an invitation to consider how we think about our work and our relationships. And it challenges us to see our work in the context of God's love 
and our relationships in the context of God's blessing. The psalm divides easily into two sections. Verse one and two speak about work, and verse three and five speak about relationships. As we look at each section, we'll think first about how they would have heard it, and then we'll consider what it might mean for us today. Our goal here is twofold today, to learn why God's people continued to sing this pilgrim psalm as they came to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate God's blessing on their crops, and to learn why we should still sing it today. So let's look at the first section. It describes three common areas of work for an ancient Israelite, building homes, sharing and fortifying and guarding the near, nearby city so that the inve- in the event of enemy attack, the people had a safe place to retreat. And lastly, cultivating the land. We can identify with their need for houses. Most of us don't build our own, but we work so that we can pay to rent or buy and maintain our homes. We can identify with their need for security. We don't have walled cities, but we do have dogs, alarms, gated communities, and ring to protect us. Most of us are not farmers, but we too work hard. And given the the rapid growth of technology, we face the temptation to work longer and harder as emails, texts, and phone messages impinge on our time away from work not to mention the apps that are constantly begging for our attention. The psalmist is not saying that work is bad, nor is he endorsing laziness. He acknowledges the need for houses to live in, for the protection of a well-fortified city, and for the hard work that that cultivating their land requires. Work is a given in this psalm both for humans and for God. What's not a given is how they work. There is a risk that they will labor in vain. To understand what it means to labor in vain, we have to get inside their story. And to do that, we have to go back to the beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God creates humans to share in the work of moving his creation project forward. God entrusts them with the care of stewarding or tending his creation, of creating culture and civilization that will bring honor and glory to God and reflect his goodness in the world. They are co-workers with God. I love how in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve meeting in the garden with God in the evening. I imagine them sharing their discoveries with God, asking him questions, and gaining wisdom about how to do their tasks for the next day. Theirs is a relationship of love, of mutual trust, and common purpose. Sadly, things do not stay that way. Adam and Eve are tempted to distrust God's goodness and believe the lie that he doesn't love them, that he can't be trusted, that he is holding out on them, 
that they can fulfill their work and calling apart from him, that they can be autonomous and independent. The psalmist is reminding the Israelites that they face that same temptation to distrust God's goodness and love and instead trust in their own efforts at building, protecting, and cultivating as a way to secure their own lives and their own futures. That kind of work is relentless, harried, burdensome, toilsome, and, the psalmist says, a vain undertaking. They are working as though everything depends on themselves. The psalmist invites them to remember that the God who calls them to be co-laborers loves them. And because he loves them, he gives them this beautiful rhythm of work and sleep. Work and sleep and rest are a recognition that they are limited, infinite, or finite humans. They are dependent on God, willing to trust in the God who is at work even while they sleep, trusting, as Danielle said, that their efforts will be enough. In a world where people were viewed as slaves of the capricious God, their understanding of their partnership with a loving God must have been a wonderful consolation. So to help them better understand what this partnership looks like, the psalmist gives an example in the second section that would resonate with them. Our modern ears hear this this focus on sorry, our modern ears hear the focus on children much differently than they would have heard it. For us, children and family have sentimental overtones, but they view children more in terms of material benefit. Children would take care of their parents as they aged. They were the ancient version of old age security. Children would inherit the land so that it stayed in the family and perpetuated the family name. And we saw a couple of years ago in the book of Ruth how important that was in their culture. And children are like arrows. As arrows protect a warrior, So children stand with and protect their father against their opponents in court. A quiver full of children is a picture of safety in numbers. What they also believed was how little control they actually had when it came to procreation. They viewed conception as a solely divine act. God alone opened or closed the womb. The psalmist is saying, your children, they are God's handiwork. They are God's gift to you. This is how God protects you. This is how God secures your future. You have little to do with it other than a few moments of pleasure. All the rest depends on God. And God blesses his people with children because that's the way he'll build your families, your tribes, and your nation so that you can fulfill God's purposes for you. So let's take a step back for a minute and put the two parts of the psalm back together. 
We've seen that the Israelites had lots of work to do in terms of property, property protection, and, in, and provision. The psalmist recognizes the importance and value of work. He is not suggesting that work is unimportant or lacks meaning. To the contrary, he is emphasizing the, the importance of their work with this example. He says, look at your families. You know that without God, you would not have them. Now look at your work. God is no less involved in your building, protecting, and cultivating. It doesn't all depend on you. So work hard and rest in his love. So that's how they might have heard it. What are we to hear when we recite this psalm? How does this change our attitude to work? Well, I think many of us tend to look at work not just as something we do to survive, to put food on the table and a roof over our heads. We often see our work as the means of personal fulfillment, as the thing that will give our life meaning and significance. We want a job that we're passionate about, that makes us feel like we're making a difference, that our life counts for something. The focus of our conversation about work is often what we do and what, what it can do for us. The psalmist offers us another perspective. He looks at the why and the how of our work. We work because our loving Father has ordained it for us. God created us to work. And how are we to do our work? I think Danielle said just what I'm saying, faithfully, to the best of our ability, remembering that the God who gives us work loves us, and he is the ultimate source of our meaning and significance. If we forget that, we will look for our work to do for us what only God can do. We will be restless and driven, striving in vain. Remember, God never meant for us to work apart from him. Our willingness to pay attention to the rhythm of work and rest is a sign that we are trusting in God's faithful provision for us. And what about our life outside of work? Children are still God's blessing to us, but that's not the only family we have. I like what Eugene Peterson does here. He broadens the sense of family beyond our biological families to include the family of faith. In Jesus, we have the fullest expression of God's love. Through faith in him, we become part of God's family. This is a family that's no longer marked by a national identity as it was in the psalmist's day. We are marked by our faith in Jesus, an identity that crosses ethnic, racial, gender, and economic boundaries. This family is God's gift to us. And I'm going to just pause for a minute and encourage you to look at one of your family members or a close neighbor and say, you are God's blessing to me. God is building his kingdom by renewing people. Yes, 
We share our faith, but we are completely dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts to the beauty of God's love for them. This isn't a Pollyanna view of family. Many Old Testament stories, as well as our own lives, bear witness to the brokenness of human relationships. Life with one another is hard, messy, complicated, hurtful, and often disappointing. And it is the way God blesses us, the way he works in and through us to accomplish his good purposes in the world. We invest time in our relationships, our families, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, because we believe that God is at work in the hearts and minds of people. So our conversation about work-life balance becomes one of partnership. We can't do it alone. Meaning, significance, purpose, life itself, it doesn't depend only on us. We work and live as people who are loved and blessed. So what are some practical steps that we can take to keep the conversation focused on the why and how of our work? I think the first thing we can do is maintain a posture of humility about our work and our relationships. Why is that important? Because we're creatures. God has called us to work, but we must work in dependence and trust on his love and faithfulness to accomplish his purposes in and through us. And because our worth and value depend on who we are, not on what we do. The second thing we can do is keep remembering because we're all prone to forget. That's why the Israelites were singing this song on the way to Jerusalem. And that's why we can keep singing it. And one way we can keep remembering is by reading and meditating on scripture. Scriptures that remind us that we are loved and blessed in all we do. There's an example I've chosen for the um, commission. It says, this is one we can focus on, meditate on, chew on, ask questions about, think about, wrestle with. Listen to it. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. That's from um, John, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, and then from the book of Proverbs. God's blessing makes life rich. Nothing we do can improve on God. Wonderful words that can encourage us and strengthen us each day. As we talk about work today, I'm acutely aware that due to the pandemic, many among us have lost, lost our jobs, leading to economic struggle, fear, and uncertainty. It doesn't mean that God has sidelined you. It's just part of the brokenness of our world. I encourage you to take consolation in the truth of God's love for you and trust that he will work out his purposes in you and for you. 
And because we're a family, we want to love and help you. And so I'd encourage you to reach out to your parish area leaders. They're ready with support and resources to help you. In closing, I'd just like to go back to Chapin's song. Is work-life balance a zero-sum game, an either-or endeavor? Is it only about priorities between competing goods? The psalmist's answer, I think, is a resounding no. We are co-laborers with God in all that we do. God loves us and blesses us and is faithful to fulfill his promises and purposes in and through our work and relationships as we live in dependence on him. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the psalmist reminder that you are a God who loves and blesses. Open our eyes to the way you lavish your love on us, to the way you bless us beyond anything we could think or imagine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.